It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. A reminder, you can chime in on the conversation in a variety of ways. 201-939-4513. You can also use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. And you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So John Mara met with the media yesterday. This is our first show since he had his presser. We'll go over that as well as discussions that are going to be ongoing over the next few weeks with respect to finding the general manager first and then the head coach. So, Paul, let's start with some of the major takeaways. I'll go over a few and then feel free to take it anywhere you want to go. I think obviously the biggest takeaway was what John Mara had to say with respect to how they're going to handle the process moving forward. And before we get into that, he mentioned specifically there was not one final straw in particular as to why they decided to part ways with Joe Judge. He emphasized that it was a variety of factors. It wasn't necessarily the 11-minute presser. It wasn't necessarily the third and nine in terms of the quarterback sneak. It was an accumulation of different elements, but it seemed as if reading between the lines of what John Mara had to say, they got to the point where they figured they had to hit the reset button and they wanted to give the new general manager an opportunity to bring in their own coach as opposed to inheriting Joe Judge and seeing whether or not they could salvage things. That, I think, was at least where John Mara went in terms of why they decided to essentially clean house. Well, that was the final analysis, but I think in uh, the road to get there had to do a lot with what happened over the final month and a half of the season. Whether or not it was the 11-minute postgame presser against Chicago, whether or not it was the fact that they got hammered in those last two games. Uh, You talk about the number of injuries that certainly uh, contributed to this team going into the tank. But ultimately, uh, you know, you're looking at a, a stadium that was much more than half empty on the final home game against Washington just a, you know a week or so ago and look a a a slew of events as the giants continue to slide over the final two weeks of the season just kind of created a perfect storm where ultimately as things kept getting pushed in the wrong direction uh, it finally landed the ball finally landed on a color that said you know what uh, maybe it's best to just go fresh and let, let the new GM pick the guy. I, I don't think that John Mara really wanted to do that earlier in the season. I don't think he wanted to do that midway through the season, even as it looked like the Giants were not going to be contenders. But over the final six weeks, you know, after Daniel Jones got hurt, and we talked about this on BBKL many times, Lance, when Daniel Jones got injured, that was it. This season went right downhill. Oh, it was a huge I mean, turning point. Yeah, uh, You know, you could have put butter on the children's slide, you know, and, and just whew, that was it. And as things got worse and worse and worse, it was just a combination of, of negative factors 
that finally led John to the point where, you know what, maybe we just have to start new in terms of the coach and the front office. Now, roster-wise, look, uh, the new GM and the new head coach are going to have a lot to say about who returns from this 2022 campaign or 2021 campaign. But I think it's clear that there's a lot of good to build on. Uh, The defense certainly has a lot of good players on it. The offense has skill position players, but desperately needs an offensive line. So I don't necessarily know that when we use the term clean house, we should really just have a broad brush meaning with that because I think a lot of these Giants' names are going to be back in 2022, and they're going to be part of the rebuilding process. The cleaning house term really only comes into play with the uh, with the staff, not sure. so much the roster. Yeah, and I think anybody that's been tossing that term around, and I know I'm generalizing, but I think they were referring to the fact that it's a new GM and a new head coach. Because first of all, you can't get rid of all 53 players anyway. That's just unrealistic. There's going to be turnover, but there's not going to be turnover to a point where you have a completely new team. I mean, that's never been seen with respect to NFL history, and they're not going to get out of all of their current contracts anyway. So, yes, there's going to be plenty of returning talent. Now, what you were alluding to is John Mara did emphasize that as far as decisions with respect to the roster moving forward, it will be a joint decision between the general manager and the head coach. But like anything else, especially major moves, it is all still in play based on what ownership gives final approval for. Not not to say that ownership is giving every approval for every minor transaction, but Paul, if we're talking about it, I'm going down a hypothetical road. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let's say the new GM comes in and in conjunction with the new head coach, they want to go in a different direction at quarterback and maybe they wanted to trade Daniel Jones or something like that. That would, in all likelihood, before that move was made, you run that by ownership. And I would think that that's something that is in play for most organizations because that's a move involving one of the key ingredients on your roster. So it's natural to go to ownership and say, hey, this is what we're thinking. This is what we want to do. We just want to run this by you before we pull the trigger. Well, what you're really talking about is a foundation-changing decision and one that may require a very large economic investment. Because if you're going to make a move such as that, not only is it huge because it is your starting quarterback, but also uh, when you replace that starting quarterback, you may be replacing him with a veteran who could be extremely expensive. Sure, it changes the dynamics of the salary cap and a variety of other factors. So that's more of enough of a reason why you would perhaps want to run that by ownership. And that's all John Mara had indicated. But as far as the future of the roster moving forward, a joint conversation, a joint decision-making process between the head coach and the general manager. The other thing that I wanted to add, because you had mentioned in passing about maybe if John Mara had considered parting ways with Joe Judge before the season ended or Dave Gettleman. And one of the things that John Mara responded with, and this is just based on NFL rules, is that he didn't feel the Giants would have been given a huge advantage or they would have gotten a head start in the process if they would have moved on, let's say, from the general manager, the head coach, because the majority of the candidates, specifically he was talking about GM, let me make that clear, but I'm throwing head coach in because the rules apply the same way. 
the majority of the candidates that they're looking at, the favorites is what he worded it as, are all currently employed by NFL teams. So NFL rules, they tweaked this season where they said, if you remove your general manager or head coach, you could start talking to candidates, but the candidates have to be non-employed NFL individuals. So if somebody's on the street, you could speak to them, you get a head start. But if you want to talk to somebody working for a current NFL front office or a coach, you have to wait till the season ends. So John Mara was emphasizing there was no advantage of them moving on at that point because everyone that they're heavily considering is currently employed by an NFL team. Well, of the nine reported GM candidates the Giants are supposedly going to interview, eight of them are for from playoff teams that are in the postseason. So that in itself gives you an indication of where he was thinking. And then the ninth is uh, supposedly a gentleman from Baltimore who was in the race right up until the very last weekend. So, I mean, (laughs) makes perfect sense to me. Well, but it doesn't even matter, I guess I would take it to the degree of, Paul, where they were. All that matters is they were employed by NFL teams. They're employed by NFL teams. You have to wait for the season to end anyway no matter whether or not they were in the playoff hunt. That's irrelevant. Yes. So no, 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 I that's understand. That's what he was emphasizing. But, yeah. but, but, the, but the other issue is, too, that because these guys are in the playoff hunt or were actually going to make it as eight of the nine are, uh, that also complicates matters, too, because now you've got to find time in their schedule to be able to give you the minutes that you need to, to do the interview. In fact, uh, John also said the initial round of interviews will all be done remotely. So they're all going to be on the video conference. Uh, I got the impression from that comment or from that statement that was in the release the other day that uh, maybe the second round of interviews would be in person. But, again, you're talking about guys who are tied up with their own franchises in some pretty important business during the stretch run. So, you know, quite frankly, (laughs) with eight of the nine candidates part of the current NFL playoff mix – Look, I, I know they have already said that Adrian Wilson from the Cardinals and Joe Shine from the uh, Buffalo Bills already did their video interviews yesterday. But let's not kid ourselves. These guys have a lot of stuff going on right now. And, you know, when they can break free, I mean, look, remember, and, and I don't know exactly where this stands. Can you, can you make a gentleman's agreement? Where are the new rules here, Lance? If, if for example, the Giants decide on – a guy, let's just say Monday or Tuesday, all right, he's going to be the guy we'd like to hire as the GM. At what point are they allowed to execute that agreement with him? Because if he's still alive in the playoffs, do they have to sit back and wait until he's eliminated? It used to be that you couldn't do anything like that. Of course, you couldn't even talk to them unless it was the bye week of the playoffs. But under these new rules now, I'm quite frankly not even sure how that impacts the actual agreement that you'd like to reach with the new guy. Yeah, that's a good question with respect to, because what you're talking about is you're talking about general managers. Yeah. See, with coaches, it's one thing because, to your point, you're embedded in preparing for a playoff game. So it's not like college football. You know, in college football, a coach is going to leave before the bowl game. Correct. Which I don't like, but that's a whole other thing. I don't want to get too off topic. I don't see that happening in the NFL. No, it doesn't happen in the NFL because you basically you have to wait till their team finishes things through. But I guess what I'm getting at, Paul, is and I'd have to look specifically at the wording of the rule, but I don't believe there's anything that stands in the way of you hiring an NFL executive from a playoff team 
I mean, what's from stopping him from joining a team? It's not like he's playing. He's not preparing for the upcoming weekend playoff game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, so, I, I mean, he know. could still get a ring from the team if they ultimately go on to win the championship. But what would prevent him from joining another front office if at that point he's done everything in his power to help construct a roster? I wasn't looking for rationale, Lance. I was more No, I wasn't for, saying you were looking for rationale. What's the I'm letter just, of the rule? I'm talking out loud. Yeah. I don't know what the rule is. And, uh, you know, so I agree in terms of what you're saying. At this point in time, there's not a whole lot, I don't think, that a GM or a personnel guy can do, although I see that Eric Weddle just came out of retirement to join the Rams because they desperately need somebody in the secondary. So obviously the GM or the personnel guy would have had some kind of consultation with the head coach as to, look, we're short and we're going into the playoffs. What are we going to do? So it's not like the guy's got nothing to do, but he technically is still employed with a team that's still alive. I don't know from a black and white contract perspective if you can actually do a deal with a guy like that until his team is done. Um, I, 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 again, I know in the past you couldn't. Can you do it now? I don't know. I'd have to look up some examples, and you got me thinking. I'm curious from maybe last season, a team that may have hired a GM, but then you would have to notice was the GM or was the executive hired from a team that went through a lengthy playoff ride, or See, were they eliminated in the first round and then it was easy to just hire them right yeah. out of the gates? And the issue for me and why this has become a little bit of a sticky point is that John Mara did say he'd rather, he wasn't 100% like this has to be, but he'd rather hire the GM first. Well. Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. (laughs) If you can't reach that deal with the GM until he's out, how is he supposed to get a deal with the coach? All complicated matters, but... Without confirming it 100%, I don't think there is anything in the NFL rulebook that would prevent the Giants from hiring an executive from a playoff team and getting the ball rolling. I don't think there's anything in place. With coaching, a little bit different because of the dynamics, but if the Giants wanted to hire somebody from a playoff team, the only thing that I could think, Paul, that would stand in the way of that is if the current team perhaps spoke to Giants management and said, listen, we're fine with you taking our guy. We wish him well, but we want this to be finalized once our playoff ride ends. I can maybe see sort of what you were alluding to, Paul, a gentleman's agreement between maybe both franchises. Maybe something like that happens, but I don't think any NFL rules because once again, you're not disrupting the prep work for a playoff game. I understand the NFL doesn't want you taking an assistant away, like a coordinator from a playoff team, because you're still trying to compete for hardware. That makes sense. I don't understand why the league would step in the way of a team trying to hire somebody from the executive branch. You know where it really kind of gets gets cloudy, though, Lance? Let's just say, for argument's sake, they have a handshake with a GM that's currently active in the playoffs, right? So he knows, okay, I'm taking that job. Well, now he starts putting together his list, you know, and says, all right, well, I'd like to talk to this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy about being a potential head coach. Well, unfortunately, that list probably is also going to include guys who are in the playoffs. (laughs) And, And that potential head coach 
who he would like to talk to, has staff members who he'd probably like to talk to, who may also be in the playoffs. And so you've got layer upon layer upon layer of people who are like, this is what I'd like to do. This is what I intend to do. Wink, wink. This is kind of the handshake that I got. But (laughs) you know what I'm saying? You don't have any paperwork because a deal can't be finalized. I, I, I just think it, 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 can get, it can get really sticky. I'll give you an example, actually. I'm just digging through last season. Okay, so the Lions, Paul, hired the Rams director of college scouting, Brad Holmes. Okay, he was their new general manager. Now, that announcement, it looks like, came down January 14th. They had a virtual interview with him on January 6th, and then an in-person a few days later. So they were talking to him, and the Rams were in the playoffs, and the Rams, remember, they beat the Seahawks, and then they ultimately lost to the Green Bay Packers. So they went into the second round in the divisional round last year. Now, did he officially take over after the Rams were eliminated in the playoffs? Yes, but they pretty much had discussed and, for the most part, finalized the deal, it looks like, even before the Rams were eliminated. So there's the best example I could give you where maybe he didn't physically come to Detroit, Paul, right, before the Rams were eliminated, but he was still operating as, hey, these are some of the things I need to get done. I could have some virtual meetings and interviews and so forth, and I could look up just out of curiosity. I see the dates here, Lance. The game was on January 16th, and the Lions officially named him on January 14th. So it was yeah, two which was days the date that I threw before out. Okay. their elimination that Holmes was named executive vice president and uh, general manager. So it does look like, uh, yeah. unless things have changed, it does look like you can officially name a guy before his club has been eliminated to a GM position. Yep. That does look like that's the case. Now, of course, the problem, again, becomes, I don't know, did Holmes, when he started to piece together what they wanted to do underneath him. Um, You know, obviously he was going to be under restrictions, though, in terms of who he could talk to or who he could hire. Because, you know, as it turned out, I don't think he purged the Rams staff, did he? I don't think anybody came over from the Rams to join him I have to look. You're talking about the front office? Is that what you're referring to? I'm talking about whether it was his assistant GM, his personnel guy, or, or any of the assistant coaches who worked in L.A. I don't think they all – I don't think any of them went to Detroit. Well, remember, Dan Campbell was ultimately named the head coach. So Campbell yes. was going to bring in his own guys, and Campbell didn't come from the Rams. So I don't no, think that was an issue. that's what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. I don't think anybody came from the Rams. I'd have to look up the Lions' front office. I mean, it's possible maybe he has somebody in the scouting department that could have come over with him. I don't think Ca- that's Campbell crazy. Campbell was named on the 20th, by the way. Yes. So you got the GM on the 14th. The elimination game for the Rams on the 16th. And then on the 20th, Campbell came in from the outside and joined the Lions as their head coach. Well, and remember, Paul, Campbell was on the Saints coaching staff. So the Saints were also in the playoffs, remember, and they were ousted by the Bucs. Yeah. Coincidentally, in the same round that the Rams were eliminated by the Packers. So they actually, both of those teams were eliminated simultaneously. Yeah, the weekend of the 16th. Yep. So that worked out where then you could finalize everybody. So that was easy. I think, yeah, that's an example of 
I don't think the Giants are going to be in a precarious spot where they can't bring in somebody from a playoff team. So that's at least a positive from that standpoint. Well, However, as long as, your play, as long as that playoff team with the guy who, who has your guy is, is out. Sure. I mean, you know, if, if, for example, the Saints had continued forward, Campbell wouldn't have gotten that job that quickly. No, they would have had to wait. They would have had to wait. Too longer. Like yeah. the Giants did with Schirmer some years ago of when course, he was yeah. with Minnesota as their coordinator. And so you're all going hurt, to be. And that hurt him because he was unable to put together uh, the primary guys on his staff because he had to wait so long. Well, and that was another thing that John Mara talked about as we circle back to some of the highlights from the presser. He was asked about the previous process and what did you learn, what needs to change. And one of the things that he brought up was he felt that it was a bit rushed and that they want to take their time. And you could tell they're going to go through a variety of different general manager candidates and then we'll see how the head coaching process plays out. But the reason why that's so challenging, in fairness, Paul, and this is, I think, what you were getting at with respect to why teams try to act so quickly more often than not is A, you're competing with other teams, okay, who have similar interest in your general manager candidates and your head coaching candidates. So that's something that you have to take into consideration, especially if you really want a guy. That's number one. Number two, which is what you were getting at, the later you ultimately hire a coach specifically, even to a certain degree a general manager, they then may not have as big of a pool left over to fill out their staff because other coordinators may be jumping to new coaching staffs, especially if they have relationships and those opportunities are presented. So when everybody looks back and says, well, you know, it would have been better if they were taking more time. Yes, in an ideal world, you'd love to take about a month and a half to do your due diligence. It's just the way the NFL operates doesn't afford you the chance to really go that deep into the offseason because other teams are going through the same exact process. And if you really love a guy, you got to jump or else, unfortunately, you're going to have to settle for your second or third option. There's no doubt. And I, look, I appreciate the situation because you have over half a dozen teams right now who are trying to fill key personnel uh, spots on their staffs, whether it be GMs or coaches. And, uh, man, there's, there's going to be quite a scrum. I mean, I, I've already seen, you know, some of the lists of supposedly requested interviews in addition to the ones that the Giants have on their list. And there's some overlap. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've looked at it, Lance, but there no, is some overlap yeah. where some of the guys that the Giants reportedly are going to talk to uh, also are on lists with other teams. So, you know, there's there's some competition for, for a few of these folks, and why wouldn't there be when you consider that eight of the nine on the reported Giants list are from playoff teams? I mean, is that any shocker? Uh, I, I would think that a lot of teams who finished out of the money are going to look to organizations that are still going to try to pilfer some of their people. Well, and also, it's a small world, Paul. Everybody really knows everybody in the NFL. There's only 32 teams. These individuals talk at various events over the course of the calendar year, and they recommend the same people because they hear good things. So that's more of a reason why there's an overlap, and relationships goes a long way in the National Football League. I think that certainly has been proven. 
A reminder that you can secure season tickets for the 2022 season today for only $100. Limited seats are available. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. Lance Metal, Paul Dettino with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are recapping John Mara's media session, which happened yesterday. And you can check out, by the way, the entire video and audio it is up on Giants.com. You can also access it on the mobile app. Instead of just reading headlines, I suggest if you have the time, I think it's about 17 minutes long, you go to, once again, the website or the app and listen to what John Mara had to say and determine your own takeaways as you move forward into the offseason. In the meantime, let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Tony is in Atlantic City joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Tony? Hey, Lance and Paul. Good to talk with you. You too. Appreciate the call. What do you got for us? Well, I wanted to uh, talk about Daniel Jones and his injury. As we know, last five, six weeks of the season, he had the strained neck. and They were taking scans every week to see if he could take any contact, and obviously they eventually put him on IR. Now we heard Daniel Jones talk to the press a few days ago saying that he would not be able to have any contact, not that he would anyway, but wouldn't be able to have any contact until August, which is eight or nine months. So from that, I'm just taking the fact that I think that the injury was a little bit more serious than anybody laid on because you guys remember David Wilson, you remember uh, Peyton Manning, neck injuries can be very serious. Not that this is, but I just think that uh, that's a concern because you don't really know with the neck if he does get contacted, what's going to happen. Just wanted to see what you thought of that. Well, whenever you're dealing with the neck, I, I don't dispute anything you said, Tony. I mean, certainly there's concern because it is a very sensitive body part. And, yeah, you reference other players. Now, just to be factual, David Wilson, who eventually was forced to retire, he suffered what doctors called spinal stenosis, which is a condition of the narrowing of that neck area. So there's no indication that Daniel Jones is dealing with anything to that nature. I just want to make it very clear. It wasn't as if... David Wilson was dealing with a sprain. He was dealing with something that was diagnosed that was, you know, an issue which prevented him essentially from playing football. And then it's well documented. Peyton Manning had multiple surgeries before he was able to continue his career with Denver. As you mentioned, Tony, he's not going to undergo contact to begin with over the next few months because of the offseason program. So I don't think that's stunning. That's not alarming. The other thing that Daniel Jones mentioned was there are no restrictions on lifting. There's no restrictions on running. There's no restrictions on passing. So he can essentially go through the normal steps that he would do in preparation for the upcoming season. It's just he won't be tested from a contact standpoint. And I understand it's not warm and fuzzy hearing that, but I think until we get to August, and God forbid there are limitations in what he could do from a contact standpoint— I don't know at this point if there's even enough to speculate or set off the alarms that there's concern moving forward. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the only concern that I had is they were actually doing scans during the time uh, just past his injury to see if he could take contact the last five or six weeks of the season when now we're talking about eight months. I agree he wouldn't have contact anyway, and I don't know if he just said eight months because at the time training camp will be starting and the only time 
with preseason as well, that he would have contact, or if he might be able to take contact if such were the case, say, in three months. I don't really know that. I'm just saying five to six weeks at the end of the season versus eight months is a big difference. That's all. That's the point I'm trying to make. Sure. Well, but I think the big difference is, and we'll let you go on that note, Tony, and appreciate the phone call. And, Paul, I think it's possible, as the last caller referenced, that Daniel Jones may have said August because he knew the calendar is going to get to training camp and I'm not going to take contact to begin with. So that doesn't mean that the doctors told him, Daniel, you can absolutely not take any contact till August. He may have just said that because, once again, how the NFL offseason operates. But going back to the last caller's point, yes, they shut him down because he wasn't going to be cleared for contact by the end of the season. But the fact that he's not playing any games until September of 2022, once again, I don't necessarily put those in the same boat because he's going to have months upon months off and there just wasn't enough time for him to be cleared. Does that mean that if they had a game, Paul, and I think Daniel mentioned this in passing, correct me if you don't remember hearing this, Paul, but in his last presser before he met with the media, meaning when he was out on the podium, I think outside, I think somebody asked him if the Giants were in the playoffs or there was a continuation of the season, was there a possibility? And I thought he had indicated that if they had a little bit more time or the injury occurred a little bit earlier in the season, that maybe he would have gotten back by late January or February if they were fortunate enough. I'm looking for my notes. I on thought that, he mentioned I don't that once again. I remember hearing that. But I, I, I thought I he think at least that your assessment, it aside from that statement, I think your assessment is accurate, and I don't, I don't have anything really to add to it. I mean, we're just going to have to uh, let it play out. Yeah, I mean, right now it's a bit of the land of the unknown, and I get it whenever you hear the neck, it's concerning. But I just, there's no evidence right now to operate with that there should be any alarms in terms of him not being available by the time the season begins. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jonathan is in Westchester joining us. What's happening, Jonathan? Hey, how are you guys? Good to speak with you again. Hi. Doing all right, Jonathan. What do you got for us? So I'm actually going to go against the grain a bit today and uh, defend the Giants for having Chris Mara involved, uh, really for two reasons. So first of all, I like John Mara, and I hope you know he's involved for the next, I don't know, 50 years. But you always want a younger relative to be familiar with the operation. You want a succession plan in place. And I, I believe uh, Wellington Mara passed away in 2005. I'm sure John Mara was involved in the, in the 90s and early 2000s before uh, his father passed away. And, and nobody seemed to have an issue with that back then. You could also look at the Cowboys. They have, you know, younger Jones relatives involved, and it seems to have worked out fine for them. So that's the first point. And then secondly, you know, there are a lot of fans like myself who um, love the Giants for being a family-run organization. You know, you can take your kids to the game and feel confident that this is a team that sets a good example. Um, so, you know, I think it's unfair on the one hand to, to praise the team for, you know, uh, being a family-run organization, you know, for its family involvement. And on the other hand, criticize ownership for the exact same thing. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I'll take it off the air. Thank you, guys. All right, Jonathan. Appreciate the phone call. John Mara was asked several questions about having family involved in the process, and he made it clear. The one thing, and once again, I advise everybody to go back and watch the press conference and listen to it because I think it's important from a contextual standpoint that you understand the things that were said. But in terms of the main takeaway there, Paul, he emphasized that the general manager and the head coach – have always had 
the final say in terms of roster decisions and that everyone gives their grades, everyone has their opinions, but at the end of the day, it still comes back to the general manager and the head coach with respect to roster decisions. That's what his response was when a number of reporters were pressing him on the involvement of some of his family members. No, that's that's exactly right. I don't know that there's anything else to say. You have to take it at face value. That's what it is. And I know people who have been in that room on draft day who have had conversations with me for many years. And that's the way it's always been for years now, consistently. Of course, back in the day when George Young was in charge of the draft, you know, he, he really had the hammer. But, but no, in recent years, no. This is, this is nothing new about that. What he said is what it is. Um, by the way, your, your thought about Jones, I think this is the comment you're referring to. Back on December 22nd, Lance, he said, uh, Jones said, I quote, I think if there was more time, if it was earlier in the season, yeah, if there was more time, I think I would have a better chance of coming, a good chance of coming back. That was it. Yep. That's, That's what exactly what I was to. referring to. Correct. I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know how assertive he was when he said it. I remember when he said it now in retrospect. Um, I, who knows? Sure. No, I mean, it's me interpreting it, Paul. I'm not telling you to take it to the bank and yeah, guarantee I would, I would, that he would have I wouldn't been necessarily back. No. lean on that to say that if they had made the playoffs, maybe he could have been back by the second round. I don't know that I don't know that that's fair to say based on what he was saying. I think it was a generic thought that, well, you know what, if there was more time in theory, hypothetically, maybe it would have worked out. But I don't think there's really anything more to it. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jimmy is in Rose Hill. He joins us. What's happening, Jimmy? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing all right, Jimmy. What do you got for us? Uh, Well, before I ask my question, uh, there's a rumor going around that the William Morris Agency is going to approach Jeff Fiegels about possibly serving as a guest host on Jeopardy. I don't know whether you guys heard that or not, but that's the rumor going around. Oh, really? Wow. So he appears on two questions over the course of nine years, and now they want to bring him in as a guest host. I say, okay. No, I have not heard that rumor. I know, though, Jeff has been inundated with media requests because of his immense popularity that is skyrocketing. He may not even have time to appear on Big Blue Kickoff Live over the next few weeks. Well, this could be a problem because he is negotiating with the Price is Right. (laughs) Oh, I see. He's using the Jeopardy leverage to get into another program. Okay. So, quick question though, Lance. So, this was actually his second time he he's appeared yeah. on Answer in Jeopardy. Correct. I actually I tweeted it out <laughs> a little while ago. Yeah, because everybody was talking about he was on last night. But I went back in 2013. He was also featured in a question. So this was the second time, and he went from this is the best part. He was worth $600 in 2013. He's now bumped his value to 800 in 2022. So it's a, it's a $200 bump over the span of nine years. So I don't know if any of our listeners, Jimmy, I don't know if you, if you own a Jeff Eagles jersey, if you own, remember those starting lineup dolls they made? They had to have made one of Jeff Eagles. Just make sure you put it away in the bank, okay, in the vault, because if you look at how much it's increasing over nine years, I don't want to even think what his value is going to be when we start having a conversation about 2031. You know, like I'm disappointed to say Fiegel's never had a starting lineup doll. He did not get out of here. I don't buy that. 
You know that for a fact, Paul, yeah. that he never had a starting lineup doll? I, I collected those suckers. No, I come very, on. I, I, was, I find it hard to believe he never had a start. For the amount of time he was in the NFL, you're going to tell me they never made a doll for him? I, I, you know why? Because, unfortunately, punters don't get enough respect. Yeah, but there's got to be punters and kickers that got dolls. I'm going to have to ask Jeff. Something Go tells ahead. me there's Go a starting ahead. lineup out there. Go ahead. I believe there's a starting lineup out there. I don't believe he ever had of Eagles. All right, we'll, we'll have to get to a conclusion. But, yes, what, what else do you have for us, Jimmy? <laughs> um, uh, quickly, uh, I'd like to just, in some respects, echo what, what Jonathan said. I mean, listen, it's the Maras. You know, you know, they're always going to be involved. It's a family operation. It's just, um, uh, it's just just the way that it is. You just hope that – and John seemed to indicate this yesterday – that um, you know, they're just another voice, but that the strongest voice is going to be is going to be the GM, and I think he made that clear. I think what I heard John say was that um, you know, when it comes to a player, unless there's some kind of background thing, uh, that he that he would then you know squash a potential deal, and the hiring of the coach. He said, but other than that, he he pretty much made it sound like roster decisions are going to be left up to. The, you know, the coach and the GM. So we should just take him at his word. His brother's going to continue to be there as as uncomfortable as it as it is. Um, but that's what happens in family, you know, family businesses. It's a nothing burger, get past it, and let's just hope that they pick the right guy. So, which leads me then to my question, and that's about the GM candidates that are coming in. Paul and Lance, do you think it's possible that these – nine guys that they're going to be interviewing um, uh, remotely. Is that is there any possibility that, that additional people may be coming in, or are, is this the nine, and then from this nine they're going to start working, you know, down to their, down to their final selection? And that's the first part. And second, they're interviewing guys from organizations, but not necessarily the assistant GM. Example. Uh, the guy Pools, I believe, from Kansas City. But I've also read about the guy Boganzi, I'm probably butchering his name, uh, who's actually that has the title of assistant GM. Why would a guy like Pools be on a list and not the guy who titularly is, is above him on an org chart? That's my question. Thanks, guys. Always good talking to you. Okay. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate the phone call. Well, I'm the one sure, thing. I, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead Paul. No, jump well, in there. I think. Yeah. I think to answer first of all, uh, of the nine reported GM candidates that the Giants would like to talk to, eight of them are from current NFL playoff teams. Um, eight of them have scouting background in the NFL and in the college ranks. Only one of them does not have college scouting on his resume. And that would be uh, Rand Carthen uh, of, of the people who have been named. He does not have um, college scouting in his background. He was a gentleman who uh, you'll know was a, a son of Maurice Carthen, the Giants' former yep. fullback uh, with two Super Bowl rings. He is the director of player personnel with the 49ers, had been in pro personnel with the Rams, and was four years as a pro scout with Atlanta. He is the only one who did not have experience scouting college players. All of the other guys have scouted college and pro players throughout their careers. All of the other people who have been named are either assistant GMs or directors of pro or player personnel. 
So that gives you an idea of the pool, of the level of the pool that they're drawing from. Clearly, it's important to the Giants that the candidate has scouting background. And again, with eight of nine guys who have scouted not only in college but in the pros, that also kind of gives you an indication of the kind of mentality or kind of angle that they're looking to acquire. In terms of how many, John Mara did say that none of the requests they put out there had been turned down and that there were so many people calling him with interest in the job that he didn't think they could even get to 20% of the people who were interested. So let's just go through the numbers. If, if there's a reported nine who have already got scheduled interviews, well, multiply that by five because that's 20% of 100, and you get 45. So it sounds as though upwards of 50 people uh, I've probably called the Giants asking if they could have a chat. And John Mara's th- insistence that they would not rush into this, they would be as thorough as possible and as complete as possible, means, as I'm sure Lance will agree, that there's no limit to how many people they will talk to or may want to talk to. If somebody decides uh, that you know they're interested and they're a really good candidate, and they give John a call, I'm sure he'll take the phone call. And if there's mutual interest, uh, they will probably expand the list. Because, once again, it all depends on how the first round of interviews go. If they feel, hey, you know what, we like what we see, but we want to hear a little bit more, then perhaps they explore expanding it. I wouldn't say that there's no possibility. And just to be clear for the sake of what's official, just to understand, I understand everybody's read reports and we're not – denying that there have been reports, but the two individuals that the Giants have officially announced that they actually have spoken to is Joe Shane from the Buffalo Bills, their assistant general manager, and then Adrian Wilson, the Arizona Cardinals VP of Pro Personnel. Those are the two guys that have officially have spoken with the team because sometimes you have reports and then those candidates don't always follow through and have the interview. That's just important to emphasize. So those two are official. Over the next few days, they'll obviously continue to speak with other candidates. Now, the other part of the question, Paul, from our last caller was for the Chiefs. Ryan Poles is their executive director of player personnel. Their yeah. assistant GM is Mike Borgonzi. And why you wouldn't maybe bring in the assistant GM and instead you'd bring in the director of player personnel, I think that goes back to, and I don't know exactly what everybody does within the Chiefs organization, so I don't want to speak out of line, but I'm just going to speak in a general sense. And I know. Borgonzi has received interest from other teams. So I'm not saying that he's not a good candidate. But there are certain franchises, sometimes the assistant GM, Paul, a lot of his responsibility is salary cap. Mm-hmm. So he's dealing with the finances more so than roster examination or college scouting. And the director of player personnel, I mean, the title alone tells you, clearly they're handling more of roster construction. So it's no disrespect to an assistant GM, but you have to understand in certain organizations, it depends on how they delegate roles, the reason why maybe you'd be more interested in a director of player personnel as opposed to the assistant GM is sometimes the assistant GM is more of an analytical financial guy, meaning that's his background. It's not to say that he has no personnel say, but his main role is you handle the salary cap. When we have questions about contracts, trades, you're the guy we go to. We're going to have other individuals on a day-to-day basis handle the personnel stuff. Uh, very well said. 
I mean, the titles across the NFL are not universal, which yeah. is another way of saying what Lance is telling you. Just because a guy has a title of GM or assistant GM or VP of this or VP of that, that doesn't mean it's the same job with all 32 organizations because it's not. It's just not. So you have to be very specific in terms of what you're looking for when you target a guy. Well, there are certain teams, Paul, just to piggyback off of what you said, they may not even have an assistant GM. Underneath the general manager could be the senior vice president of player personnel, and there is no assistant GM. So that's more of a reason well, why <laughs> it's really what the individual does as opposed to what their dog and pony show label is all about. Well, I guess let's just use two examples, okay? Bill Belichick is really the GM of the Patriots, but sure. he doesn't have that title. And we all know that owner Jerry Jones is the real GM and president and everything else, including peanut vendor for the Dallas Cowboys. So there you go. Yeah. Very so, well said in terms of good examples, how labels alone don't necessarily tell the whole story. All right. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Len is in Maryland, and he joins us. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing right, Len. What do you got for good, us? Good, good. Good. Um, Paulie, I think you were on last week when you had Phil for the last time this season. Yes. Um, I, by the way, just, just a sidebar to that. I hope you can get him back next year. That's, a, that's, that's just a terrific list, you know, listen. But um, I think the last question either you or John posed to him as you were saying goodbye for the year, uh, you, you know, what do you, think, what, what do you think should happen? What do you think the Giants should do? And Phil said we need a shot of energy. We got it. We got the shot of energy. If you're part of the fan base, you got to be excited. You got to be excited. I think Phil Phil hit the nail on the head. It's an exciting time. There's hope. There's a new beginning, and we're on our way to turning this thing around. Listen, a couple of kudos. Um, you know, as a seat license um, owner. I uh, got a couple of letters from the Giants uh, last few days. Uh, actually, the body of the letters were much, not much different than what appeared on the website than what you guys wrote on the air here in you know, Big Kickoff Live. Uh, but what really kind of impressed me is he wrote to me. The letter started off, Dear Leonard. Now, I'm sure there were 12,000 other letters that started off with somebody's name, but quite frankly, that's pretty cool. I like that. He was counting me as part of this family, an important part of the family, even though it was may have been the same letter. He was addressing it for me, to me. Good for you, John. Good for you, Mr. Tish. It's interesting on that uh, when they signed the letter, uh, the names weren't side by side. Um, one is on top of the other. It's not a side by side thing, which was kind of interesting. Also, yesterday, really good interview by John. You know, um, I, I don't know if there was anybody in the building. Who, he had to do it. I mean, he's not crazy. He just had to do it. Now, I know it was heavily controlled, and, you know, the format and the timing and all that thing heavily controlled, but that, that's modern-day PR. Uh, but the thing is, he got up there, and he, he, he answered all the questions, and they were questions the fans wanted. The beat writers were... I mean, those were tough questions, man. I mean, they got into his family. I mean, these were tough questions, and I thought he did a. He thought he did. A, I, I thought he did a terrific job. 
I'm going to grade him, and then I'm going to tell you why I gave him the grade. I'm going to give him an A minus. The one answer about the lines of authority and decision-making that bothered me a little bit is when he got into Brother Chris and Nephew Tim's roles. And it only bothered me, I mean, I don't really care. In the end, I don't really care. I'm worried about whether or not it's going to affect any of the people who we call in an interview. Because my guess is they all watched that interview yesterday. They watched it closely. They got input from mentors, friends, agents, all kinds of people about the situation and the way John answered the questions. I thought when it got into the decision-making and when he was talking about Brother Chris, I mean, he's an owner, for God's sake. He's one of the owners, I mean, you know. Uh, but it seemed a little murky. You, you, you could almost listen to it and wonder whether he's talking about um, a different line of communication that's not built into the official organization chart. Now, if I'm one of the better guys, yeah, I think it's a great group. I, I think these, these eight, I guess it's nine people now, because we got the guy from Baltimore who's been sought after for like three or four years. I mean, he's really a hot commodity. I hope he comes. I hope he comes, because I think he would be a good one. As you, as you suggested, some of these guys are at a different level within their organization charts from others. Some of them probably aren't quite ready yet. There are three or four of them who are probably a little ahead. But this is, this is the future of the, uh, this is the future of the NFL. This is the leadership for the next 10 years. Over the next, these are the guys who are going to get interviewed, plus some of the others that are going to you know, get interviewed by other teams. But these guys, you know, the top guys, the three or four that we've talked about, the guy from Buffalo, uh, word has it he's a great candidate. Uh, the guy from Baltimore, he's a great candidate. Uh, the fellow from Kansas City, terrific candidate. Um, they got all the experiences. These are, these are great guys. But they're going to want to know two things, and they're going to want it to be clear. Am I going to have the commensurate authority to go along with the responsibility that you're going to hold me to? Where does decision-making reside in the end? Listen, like somebody already said, it's a family business. He owns it. This is his, five, his share, $4 billion, whatever it is, $3 billion on the Mara side. Um, this is, you can't fire the coach without my saying it's okay to fire the coach. You, you can't hire a coach without my saying. I mean, I get that. We all get that. But is there – was he hinting – I mean, why is Chris talking to him about some of these uh, draft picks? Why doesn't he input, like, like John says he does, into the database, talk to the general manager? That's his part in the business. Why is there, suggest, why is there this suggested, alluded to, different channel? Why well, I, I don't know. What what you're meaning by different channel? I mean, the way that he explained it was, I think, what you had mentioned, Len, in terms of he gives his input, it goes into the system, no different than any other scout. And yeah. I think my interpretation was, you know, he's a family member. We're talking about his brother. You don't have relationships strong enough that you may have conversations outside of the database with family. I don't think that's a stretch or that's crazy if, if, what, that that what, may happen. What, yeah, true. Absolutely right. 
of course. They're sitting around the dinner table this sure. weekend. Yeah. There's a family <laughs> get-together. Yeah, okay. But if I'm one of those three top guys, I, I want to know how far this goes. Why doesn't he not? I, I mean, why does, why does John even have to mention it? If it's just a family member conversation, why, why does John mention it yesterday? Well, he was asked a question about it, Len. I mean, I think that's why he got into it, to answer well, your question. Was he not well, asked a question if, about it? I mean, <laughs> if, 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 I'm, well, if I'm one of those three guys, I, I, I want to know whether or not I'm going to have the authority I need commensurate with the responsibility that you're going to hold me to. And I want it clearly spelled out. Who reports to whom and where does decision-making authority reside? And I'll tell you, this, this guy from Baltimore, he's, he's a tough nut to crack. He's been, he's, this, this isn't going to be the first request for an interview that's, that's come to him over the last three to four years. This guy's been highly thought of. He's a tough nut to crack. He knows what it takes to be successful in that general manager's role. And he's going to read into some of that stuff in that, in that interview. Let me, let me ask you another quick, quick question. Real quick, yeah. If, if I have the time. If I don't, I'll, I'll call no, back. No, real quick, Len. What do you got? Okay, okay. I'll go quick. How do you get to round two? If you're the owner... What do you have to hear from these guys? I mean, I have to be specific, you know, generalization here. But sure. Well, we can what do we want to hear? That, what man. do we want to yeah. hear to call them up and say, hey, you three guys, come on in? Okay. Well, we'll, we'll certainly delve into that, and we appreciate the phone call. We'll let you okay. go on that note. All right. Thanks, guys. I think no different, Paul, than what Len was getting at. In terms of candidates, certainly you're going to want questions answered in terms of what ownership is looking for and so forth. But I think – what I would prioritize is I would first of all ask them, I would love to get your input in terms of what you think of this roster. What do you want to build upon? What do you think needs to change? I mean, that to me is the million-dollar question. Give me your synopsis of the current roster. And then I also want to hear about who do you envision as a coach, meaning if they have a few candidates in mind or the type of coach and whether or not you would like to see more of an offensive emphasis from the head coaching position? Is that irrelevant to you? Does it not make a difference based on the coordinator? I mean, those are the types of things I want to hear, at least in the first round. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think there's any doubt. And then when the finalists are decided upon and they probably bring them in for a face-to-face, -face, I would assume, you know, at the very least by Monday, um, then you'll get down to more nitty-gritty. Details that, you know, may have to do with the chain of command or the process or, Paul, it could go to the degree of the general manager says, hey, I want to bring in these five scouts. I've worked very closely with these individuals. I want to bring them in. Well, what does the franchise think of that? You know, those I think maybe are the second tier because those are a little bit more specific in terms of personnel, but the vision, specifically what they think of the roster that's what I want to hear. And th once again, this is my personal opinion. If I was steering the ship, I would want – you're bringing these individuals in because you want them to give you an outside perspective of what you're working with right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you want to know that they have done their fair share of homework 
that they know exactly what they think they can do initially. They're not going to give you an in terms of a layout of the land of everything that's going to happen for the next five years because injuries and other things are impossible to predict. But at least now, based on what you're operating, I want to hear what they think they could do, at least with respect to this offseason. Sure. I mean, look, the hardest part for me right now is to be – you know, not in those in those interviews, not in those rooms, not in those Zoom chats or whatever it is that they're using for their video service, because we really don't have an idea of how this process is going to work. Because remember, this is another part of the whole pandemic culture. Trust me, in years past, when teams wanted to talk to guys, they either went to see them or they brought them in. Yep. There was no round of video interviews first. This adds a whole other layer to the process because you've got to do video interviews first because of the practicality, the logistics, and the protocols before you then get it narrowed down. It used to be a guy would come in for a first round of interviews. There'd be a first round of personal interviews. Then the guy would have a second meeting if he was a finalist. I mean, that was the standard. This new world that we're living in is not the standard anymore, so... I'm, you know, it's it's new territory, and I'm sure that everybody's operating on a little bit of a, a thinner sheet of ice because they're trying to feel people out through a freaking computer screen, Lance. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'll be frank with that, you. Yeah. I don't know that the candidates nor the owners of these franchises are truly getting the best sense of each other looking at a computer screen. I think in order to get to know a person, I would certainly prefer being in person. However, Paul, I would say I think you could get an idea of how knowledgeable an individual is. Oh, no and doubt. then getting answers to questions about personnel, whether you're in person or through a video channel. I, I totally understand that. Issue. And I'm not yeah. saying that it's worthless. This is an exercise you have to do. This is reality. This is the way it's got to be. But I think all of us would say if you were interviewing somebody – or you were an interviewee for somebody, you would always much rather have the in-person, hand-to-hand, face-to-face, eye-to-eye sit-down to give your best foot forward and also for them to find out the most about you. The best matches are going to be made that way. Let's head back to the phone lines. Pete is on Staten Island joining us. What's happening, Pete? How you doing, guys? Hi. Uh, I've been been waiting to call in and... You know, to Lance's point, I think, you know, I had this question yesterday, and I think Lance was trying to get it out, but he didn't get it out. As far as I'm concerned, I would want to know, if I'm a candidate or whatever, whether or not, if I don't like scouts, player vice president of player personnel, Chris Mara, I think that's his title, and or... Uh, and I don't know, Tim McDonald's more of a, I think, college scout, right? He's in the personnel if, department. Yeah, yeah okay, he's the personnel. co-director of player personnel. Okay, so we all know that the evaluation of players has been an issue with this with this franchise for a number of years, right? We all know this, okay? It's not, this is easy. Well, to okay, be honest so. with you, I, I, and, and, and I appreciate your thought, we don't know if some of, in retrospect, the mistakes were made because the selections were incorrect or the evaluations were incorrect. Truth is, nobody really knows that. Well, you can all throw that into a pot of spaghetti, Paul, right? And and you got to mix it up. I'm sure that, that it's all part of one, one bowl of spaghetti, as you would put it. 
You know what I mean? It's all I, I hear you. I hear you. I, I understand. I okay. understand. But so again, so we've got to be careful, question. though, when we point a finger. Right. I'm not pointing. Okay. I'm not pointing. I'm just saying it's, you know, it's a total package of everything. Yes. As John alluded to yesterday, we're blowing it up. His, his own word, blowing yep. it up. Okay. So how far do you blow it up? Does the new general manager have the authority? If he doesn't want senior vice president of player personnel, Chris Mara, he doesn't want senior, he doesn't want Chris to be the guy. He doesn't want Tim McDonald to be the, the, the college scout. He wants to bring in his own guy, these guys, to replace them. Does the new general manager, and that begs this question, which I wish they would have followed up on this yesterday. If I was there, I would have. Do they, does the new GM have the authority to fire these guys just as if they were not family members? Because let's not forget, they're getting a salary like everybody else is getting a salary, whether they be an owner or whether they not be an owner. Okay? So that would have been a question I certainly would have put forth. Question about it. Okay? And I'm not blaming Tim Mara for anything, and I'm not blaming uh, Chris Mara, rather, and I'm not blaming Tim McDonald for anything. But if you're going to blow it up, as John said, and start from the ground up, as John said, then these kind of things have to be clarified. And I'm sure that the people they're bringing in would want those things clarified if they want to bring their own people in. Can they say, hey, John, we don't want them there anymore. You're going to blow it up? Well, we're going to, we're going to completely blow it up. This is what we want. We want these scouts. We want this guy to be senior vice president of player personnel. So what's your opinion on that? And I'll take it off the air. I love you guys. All right, Pete. Appreciate the phone call. Well, I'll go back to, and I think I brought this up on a previous show. When Dave Gettleman came in, Paul, he changed some of the scouts. He made some changes. And that was somebody that already had a pre-established relationship with a lot of people in the building. Because remember, he was here under Ernie Accorsi. So he came in for his stint as general manager, and he made some changes. Now, to what extent Pete was talking about the last caller? Are they going to completely eliminate the entire front office? I think that's very far-fetched if you think that's going to happen. But those are conversations that have to happen and in all likelihood would happen because if you're a candidate for general manager and as Paul and I were talking about when you get to maybe the second round and you're a serious candidate and you start getting down to the contractual issues and so forth of course if you want to make changes those are the times and the things you bring up at that point to see whether or not both parties are in line with that but I also I'm going to emphasize this again Paul it goes back to when we had a caller earlier and was asking about the Kansas City Chiefs, and I was talking about how don't read into titles alone and thinking that that means that they have X amount of power, okay? So just because the Giants, and if you go on their website and you could read through everybody, everybody's name, everybody's rank, everybody's label is there, it doesn't mean you know indeed that they're pushing the buttons to the nth degree. And I can't emphasize that enough because if we're talking about that with Kansas City, we could talk about that with Chicago. We could talk about that with the Giants. Labels and titles alone does not necessarily indicate influence and power. Well, and I think that's the best way that I could sum things up. We, we 
told you that 10 minutes ago, and I don't think anything's changed in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> I will say this. The questions that, that Pete raised, those are questions that will happen at the highest of levels that we have nothing to do with and therefore are strictly hypothetical for us, and there's no point in even talking about it because it's, it's something that goes so far above our pay grade that it's not an issue. Yeah, but the only thing that I'll say is when the last caller brought up they would have liked to have heard John Mara say that. I think, as you mentioned, Paul, if it's a hypothetical question, there's not a generic answer to that. Because, Paul, when you interview one general manager candidate, they may envision the front office structure going one way. When you have a conversation with another general manager candidate, they may bring things up that the other candidate wasn't. So if mm-hmm. you're to answer that with a blueprint that is generic and goes across the board, it wouldn't necessarily be an honest assessment because the way you have a conversation with different candidates is going to differ based on what their desires and their needs are. I mean, there could be a candidate that walks in and says, hey, you know, I'm fine with the scouts. I want to change the grading system. I want to change where geographically in the country we're going. It could be as simple as that, Paul, right? Meaning you're fine with the people. You just want to completely change what they're doing, what their assignments are. Another individual could come in and say, hey, I've got three guys that worked under me. I want to bring them in. They're my right-hand men, and I think they would help fine-tune what's going on. So that's why, to me, it's very hard to give a generic answer that would apply to all candidates. Fair enough. And I think that would wrap things up. We certainly will continue to discuss the general manager search as it continues to play out over the coming days. And you can stay locked to Giants.com, of course, for all the latest. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcasts. We will be back up and running on Friday again at noon Eastern. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.